0: Hello and welcome to the Club Chimera Martial Arts Podcast. My name is Jamie Club, and my intention with these shows is to discuss various issues in the world of martial arts and self-protection that have inspired my teaching, training and writing. If you're interested in the material I cover, please check out the show notes at the end of this program and also my website, clubchimera.com. That's C-L-U-B-B-C-H-I-M-E-R-A dot com. In addition to all the usual lesson reports and links to other free material I have on this website, please check out the upcoming series of Vagabond Warriors intensive training courses. The first two are booked at Over Norton Village Hall, Oxfordshire, on Sunday the 28th of July 2019 and Sunday the 25th of August 2019. They will both start at 10.30am and finish at 1.30pm. For those residents in the UK or even looking to visit for a holiday and would like to train in the Club Chimera Martial Arts cross-training methods I regularly discuss in my private client lesson reports, this is your opportunity. I'll discuss more about these at the end of this podcast. This episode is part one of The Way of the Rabbit, which discusses methods outside of fighting for dealing with a self-defence situation. I hope you enjoy the show. I've long been a fan of US superhero comic books. When I was a kid in the 1980s, I received a hardback book with a collection of various single Marvel comic strip stories. The book included what must count as one of my favorite all time single episodes in comic book history Uncanny X Men number 213. The story, called Psylocke, sees the X Men's most popular member, Wolverine, take on Sabretooth in a rematch from the previous issue. At the beginning of their brutal matchup, there is some dialogue, typical of the comic's writer, Chris Claremont. Sabretooth, the villain of the piece, growls at his opponent, you're going to play this straight boy or rabbit like last time, to which Wolverine replies, make a move, find out. It's classic mid-1980s melodrama, but the insulting rabbit metaphor stuck with me. Rabbits are synonymous with running away from threats. Years later, when my martial arts training brought me back to the earnest business of studying the application of self-protection in the real world, I noted that playing rabbit was sound of ice that often fell on less than rabbit-like ears. One of the surprisingly difficult truths to explain to individuals outside of the typical self-defence subculture is the strategic, logical and moral value of not fighting in an antagonistic situation. I don't just mean simply backing down from a fight challenge or picking one's battles wisely, but what has become popularly known as the art of fighting without fighting. Bruce Lee famously created a scene in Enter the Dragon where he humiliates a bully on a boat by saying that his style of fighting is the art of fighting without fighting. He tells the bully he will show him the style on a nearby island. The bully gets into a rowing boat, expecting Lee to follow him over to the island. Instead, our hero sets the little boat free from the larger boat, putting the man at his immediate mercy. The story was an adaptation from a famous and probably apocryphal anecdote taken from the life of one of Japan's most celebrated samurai duelists and warriors, Bokuden to Sukara. Bokuden was born and died during the Sengoku period when Japan was fighting some of its most fierce civil wars. He had a highly distinguished career with huge numbers of deaths attributed to both his individual duels and success in battle. The simple fact that he died at the ripe age of 82 of natural causes during that extremely violent period, despite having a fearsome reputation, is a fair argument for his fighting abilities. Yet in later years he apparently became known for propagating Mutikatsuru, the school of winning without hands. Our media, folklore and classical literature is full of stories of people victoriously defeating various enemies that need not have been fought in the first place. However, the martial arts world isn't really any better. Much like awareness and understanding the legal side of self-defence, the importance of avoiding fights is given lip service. This has become the don't try this at home equivalent disclaimer for martial artists with violent pasts. Consider the comparison with a reformed gangster who enters the musical acting world, and there have been a fair few, who have attracted attention through their notorious pasts. Now they feel compelled to tell those who might come under their influence that crime is not the right way. One can easily see such people, whether they are battle-scarred fighters or ex-criminals, as being insincere in their preaching. I have long had discussions with friends who work professionally dealing with violence and now teach self-defence and are struggling with whether they are glorifying their past for self-promotion or using it to provide validation for the lessons they are teaching. I've also met fighters and teachers who have completely opted out of providing any moral justification for what they teach. One combat sport teacher told me, when he was discussing handling aggressive people in the world outside the cage or ring, sometimes you just got to give them a good dig. Although I could not condone this view, it provided some refreshing honesty amidst a lot of the sanctimony and hypocrisy I've been hearing at the time. Our mythology is shaped by heroic duels and brave battles fought against malicious opponents. When someone behaves like a physical bully, there's a natural desire to see that person be squarely dealt back the violence he delivers. Think of the typical martial arts and action hero trope where the protagonist does everything to avoid a fight only to eventually be forced to do just that to defeat the main antagonist. Usually the trope doesn't finish with our hero being presented as the loser for failing to maintain his decision not to use violence but is celebrated for taking down the bully. One wonders how much of the reluctant fighter hero story is designed to assuage our guilt for enjoying the violent spectacle. Compare this to the hero of the revenge thriller like a public executioner, the hero is cheered on by his or her audience as the exact of personal justice. The revenge thriller is a lightweight variation of the Elizabethan revenge tragedy. This genre, which has its roots in the ancient dramas of Seneca, delivers the message that violent revenge, however justifiable, always destroys far more than the original wrongdoer and these plays always ended with the hero dying after exacting justice. Again, we're expected to cheer on the hero, yet morally accept the spiritual debt he had to pay for effectively playing God. Our conscience was clear in our enjoyment of the dramatised bloodletting, provided we understood the spiritual message. If we are to be a bit more cynical, on a base level, audiences get a double hit of titillation; They revel in the gory violence, yet get a tearjerker at the same time. Across the ages, little regard is placed on those who choose to run from a conflict, or comply with their antagonist's demands. Embedded in our stories is the notion that somehow the force of good will shine brightly on the righteous. Ancient Germanic tribal law fully realised this concept as a divine truth in their trial-by-combat judicial method. And yet, survival has often favoured those who are masters at aversive tactics, use cunning, use diplomacy, are master tricksters and have good escaping skills. Few species of animals have so famously come to symbolise these survivalist traits as the rabbit. The European rabbit alone flourishes in every continent in the world except for Antarctica. The expression, breed like rabbits, is an apt simile and what we recognise as a good reason for the survival of the species. Being a common prey animal to so many predators, the rabbit is the consummate survivor. He has a variety of hiding places which includes the underground network of tunnels known as a warren. The animal has incredibly acute hearing and being a social creature has a system of warning fellow rabbits. The rabbit's fleet-footedness is represented in a range of different media. The story of the Chinese zodiac puts it that the rabbit would have easily won the race to the Jade Emperor if he hadn't been so overconfident as to take a nap just before he arrived. Interestingly, the rabbit's cousin the hare also loses his race to the tortoise when he makes the same arrogant assumption in Aesop's fable of Ancient Greece. Rabbit certainly features a lot in my childhood stories. Despite being a dog, pony and monkey trainer and born into a dynasty known for working with tigers, lions, leopards and other large carnivores, my mother always had a particular fondness for rabbits. She often told me they were the only thing she could draw, which was then demonstrated with her signature ditty of a half-moon shape bordered by two ears and surrounding a cottontail. Alison Utley's little grey rabbit was charming enough with her tidiness and sense of responsibility for those very early years of my life, but looking back, Her tales were more nostalgic British allegories for bygone days, when countryside folk lived simpler lives than an adventurous celebration of the rabbit survivalist. Human society has a bittersweet relationship with rabbits. The wild species have been used as a source for food, clothing or sport, but they've also been viewed as pests to farmers and gardeners. The elusive and prolific rabbit that raids vegetable patches is seen as a thief. Set this off against the domesticated rabbit status as a popular pet and the image of the lovable rogue begins to form in the minds of storytellers. These characters are, at the very least, Byronic heroes, often with no moral justification for their thieving and mischief, but sympathetic to the reader because of their success against so many stronger enemies. Beatrix Potter's Peter Rabbit is not particularly clever but was more of an agile chancer who relied on his primal instinct. However, he was not averse to playing a prank on one occasion, he got out of scrapes because of his agility, help from others, and even dumb luck. The next rabbit hero I could really get my milk teeth into was Master Trickster himself, Br'er Rabbit. Beatrix Potter's stories, starting with Peter Rabbit, were apparently influenced by the works of Joel Chandler Harris, who was the first person to publish Br'er Rabbit stories. He framed these using a fictional narrator character called Uncle Remus. The stories were folk tales Harris said he had first heard between 1862 and 1866 on the Turner Plantation slave quarters. Harris, who was working as an apprentice to a printer of a confederate newspaper, spent a lot of time with the plantation slaves and memorised the folk tales he heard. However, besides the fact that both Potter and Harris's tales feature anthropomorphic rabbits, who narrowly escaped getting eaten by predators, there is little similarity between them. I remember avidly listening to Br'er Rabbit stories as a child, and eventually revisited them many times throughout my childhood, later re-reading every single Ena Blyton adaptation to my daughter, Brer Rabbit was often not only the target for many different bullies in the story, which were all natural predatory animals, but also was often on the fringes of animal society. If I was to wax psychological, I might consider that we, as circus people, could relate to him for being both an entertaining trickster and an outsider. Brer Rabbit, it has been argued, was either originally created in North African culture or within the American Cherokee tradition. One can see how themes from their respective folklore are reflected in Brer Rabbit's escapades. Like many good folklore heroes, the rabbit is humanized by his flaws that often get him into trouble. However, the tales are celebrations of Brain over Brawn, where rabbit outwits his enemies to get what he wants. But he also uses his guile and cunning to escape sticky situations, and occasionally to defend other vulnerable creatures. Although most of the stories present rather absurd and unrealistic tactics, they do present core observations on how to manipulate a bully and the need to apply one's wits in an emergency situation. When teaching children self-protection soft skills, you can do a lot worse than quoting a street-wise underdog like Br'er Rabbit. Then there is Bugs Bunny, Warner Brothers' most recognisable and successful original creation. Few children are immune to this rabbit hero, who does what all great rabbit icons do and outwits bullies. His world may be the crazy and surrealistic comedy domain of the Looney Tunes, and Bugs might take many of his trademark mannerisms from the great wisecracking clown Groucho Marx, but he's still a celebration of the survivalist trickster his enemies are either larger and stronger than him or they're armed such as his two main antagonists the determined hunter elmer fudd or the fiery-tempered gunslinger yosemite sam bugs adapts to and works the crazy world in which he exists like a professional and uses his wits throughout to eventually succeed over the often impossible odds he's given even a bugs bunny cartoon can be a lesson in self-protection Perhaps one of the greatest explorations of the self-defence rabbit icon can be found in Richard Adams's Watership Down. My daughter was steadily introduced to the novel, an animated feature film, as a fable about resourcefulness, courage, being streetwise, even in the country, and facing the harsh realities of the world. This novel recreates the bear rabbit character as a mythical prince of his species, called Elahirar, and Adams puts him, along with the sun god Frith, at the centre of an invented rabbit religion and culture. Throughout the book's story, which deals with a group of enterprising rabbits that fled their doomed warren to start their own, and then free other rabbits from an oppressive military dictatorship, one rabbit tells didactic stories about their folkloric hero. The first story told, which became the pre credit sequence from the 1978 adaptation of the novel, is a creation tale that sets down the universal philosophy of the rabbit. Here, Alihara is punished for refusing to control his species' prolific breeding by Frith, who condemns them to a lifetime of facing predators. Once the god has granted many of the other animals with a desire to eat rabbits and the weapons to do the job, he gives the rabbits physical attributes to aid them in their escape. However, above all else, he provides the following advice to Elahirah: All the world will be your enemy, prince with a thousand enemies, and whenever they catch you, they will kill you. But first they must catch you, digger, listener, runner, prince with the swift warning. Be cunning and full of tricks and your people shall never be destroyed. With fighting being the last resort of all intelligent self-protection students and teachers, we owe it to ourselves and all those we wish to positively influence to develop skills that are based on using one's wits to avoid having to fight. There is much that the rabbit, an animal who can rarely rely on its abilities as a fighter, can teach us. On the 28th of July and the 25th of August this year, I'm presenting my Vagabond Worries workshops at Over Norton Village Hall, Oxfordshire. I've chosen this secluded location in the English countryside, and I'm keeping numbers down to ensure a truly focused training experience. We'll be concentrating on single systems of combat, and then exploring what they can provide to other areas of martial arts and self-defence training. These workshops don't have the formality or numbers of a seminar. They provide the ideal conditions for a group of like-minded people to train with my students covering the material we've been developing over the years. It would be really great if you could join us, so please book now by dropping me an email at the Club Chimera Martial Arts contact page. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Please subscribe to this show to get regular updates from whatever listening platform you use. I have a special bumper episode coming soon featuring several of my favourite martial arts voices out there discussing martial arts movies, so you're not going to want to miss that. I'd also be very grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. Any feedback, please comment on my social media pages or drop me an email. Next episode will be the second and concluding part of The Way of the Rabbit, where I discuss Jeff Thompson's criminally overlooked book, The Art of Fighting Without Fighting, amongst other things. Join me then. Thanks for listening.